I'm going to test your patience too because we're in numbers and I'm not going to get any worse. New at least. Numbers 28. Intended to. But this is what the Lord has given me, I guess. And I, As we've talked about some of this already, as you recall, Numbers chapters 28 and 29, God spells out for the children of Israel what and how they were to worship him when they came into the land, that they were to bring certain offerings on certain, in, in their times and in their seasons, these are the offerings that the Lord would have them bring to him in their seasons. This is what, uh, and, and it struck me that this is a, a long time ago, last, I don't know how long ago it's been, but a long time ago, it struck me that this is what God wanted from the land. And when he would bring the children of Israel into the land, he would be their God, they would be his people, and they would worship him. And, and here's how they could go about it. He's, he's, it was very gracious of him, it seems to me, to tell them exactly what he expected and, and what would please him, what he would have them give to him. Because how else would they know? How would you have any idea what God would want? Unless he told you ahead of time. Because you, we, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so much higher are his ways than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. So how would we ever know? Thankfully, he did not leave it up to their imagination how they should come to God and worship him. Think of the, of the what, what would have this would have, what would have happened <laughs> had the children of Israel no instructions for worship? Well, we have some ideas of what would have happened. Look around at the pagans and what they did. And how their worship of their gods was just completely degrading to their persons. It sunk into the lowest kinds of debauchery. Even the hideousness of burning children, burning babies on, on a, oh, the, you, you don't even want to go there and think about it. Not to mention all of the sexual immorality and just human, just debauchery. That's what Human imagination would go to. That's the direction. Oh, no, this, this, we're talking about how to worship the God of heaven. And he gives them instructions so that they, they don't have to try and dream these things up. It's right here. Command the children of Israel. This is what I want. This is what I would ple please me. And wonderfully, the Lord didn't leave us in the New Testament era up to our imagination, either on how we can approach God and how we can offer up our spiritual sacrifices to him and the Lord Jesus. Don't take for granted the wonderful things that 
that he has revealed to us in the New Testament on how we ought to gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus, with the Lord Jesus personally in the center, in the midst of the gathering of his people, not gathering to a man, not gathering to a denomination, not gathering to a creed, not gathering to anything other than the wonderful person and work of the Lord Jesus himself. It's so important that we that we maintain we continue to be obedient to the scriptures. There's millions. Uh, I should, maybe that's the wrong word. There's, there's tons of challenges against it. There, I speak from experience. And uh, many, many, and many varied challenges will always be... Uh, Offered, and not the least of which is the fact that we're like a, a tiny little group of oddballs in a in a in an old creamery. I mean, that 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 tests our metal to see is what we're doing really have the value that we what we think it has. Well, that's this is why it's so important that now. In Ephesians 3.10, in intent uh, that now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be known or made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So the point is, the purpose that we do what we do to gather in obedience to what the word of God teaches is so that we are displaying not our ideas, but God's wisdom to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, whoever that all is. We don't even have to know. Just to know that this is important to God is important to me then. <clears throat> so he didn't leave us without direction. And we should not leave his directions behind. So last time when we did talk about this, we looked at the uh, daily offerings, how they were to bring a lamb and uh, in the morning and in the evening. So every day they would bring two lambs, one in the morning, one in the evening, for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And uh, and that and the point was that that the burnt offering would be a continual offering, that it would not ever stop, it would never cease, it would be continually. Burning. In fact, Leviticus 6.13 puts it like this. The fire, and it's speaking about the burnt offerings, the fire shall ever be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. That's the point. So you had a burnt offering in the morning that would, that would burn and consume all day, replaced then with a burnt offering in the evening that would burn and consume through the night, so that the fire of the burnt offerings on the altar would never go out. That was the point. It was a continual burnt offering. And, of course, we thought about how uh, may our spiritual reality be that by him, therefore, Hebrews 13, uh, verse 15, 17, something like that, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice to pray a praise to God continually. May the fire never go out. 
that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. May our meditation and therefore our worship to God never diminish or go off. The continual burnt offering, morning and evening and all through the day and night. And then we considered also the weekly offerings, which are in the next uh, couple of verses, down verse 9 and 10. Uh, <clears> how <throat> the weekly, weekly offerings were a doubling of the daily offerings. So on the Sabbath they would bring a double daily offering. And we thought about how the privilege of uh, and joy of gathering together on the first day of the week to corporately worship our Lord as we break the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of him. How important that is. Of course, it's very important to us, but it's evidently, and I believe this with all my heart, it's important to God. God appreciates our corporate worship. But I can testify, and do not mind, and, I'm, and unapologetically, I can testify that the weekly remembrance of the Lord Jesus has been the the foundation rock in our marriage for all these years. We have done this together since before we were married, and it has been the highest and most, uh, it's been the most wonderful privilege to worship together with my wife, sitting beside me and singing the hymns of praise and worship, offering our our sacrifice our spiritual offering to God thanking him and it has it has provided a an anchor a bedrock a, a foundation for our lives it's very very wonderfully important the highlight of our week well that brings us into verses 11 through 15, and I think we talked about those a little bit too last time, only kind of briefly. These are the monthly offerings which are described there. You know what? It says, In the beginning of your months, verse 11, you shall offer a burnt offering unto the Lord. Two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year without spot, three-tenths deals of flour for meal offering, mingled with oil for one bullock, and two-tenths deals of flour for a meal offering, mingled with oil for one ram, and a several-tenth deal of flour mingled with oil for a meal offering unto one lamb, for a burnt offering and a sweet smelling of a sweet savor and a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. And their drink offerings shall be a half a hen of wine unto a bullock, a third of a hen unto a ram, and a fourth part of a hen unto a lamb. This is the burnt offering of every month throughout the months of the year. And one kid of the goats for a sin offering unto the Lord, 
shall be offered beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offerings. And so that detailing what should happen every month at the beginning of your months and every month all through the year. Now, it doesn't mention the moon in this passage, but that's how you determine the beginning of your month. It's by the new moon. And I used to think, why did they always use a lunar calendar? Why didn't they go by the sun? Well, I was thinking about it. Duh. The sun doesn't change. The sun, especially in the Middle East, where they're right near the equator, the sun does the exact same thing day in, day out, 24, I mean, uh, 365 days of the year. Never, There's no variation. The sun, which is a wonderful picture of the glory of the Lord, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And they're pretty hard to mark out a month based on, on the sun's movements. You, he'll mark out your days, and uh, but not your months. To know the the months, you look at the cycles of the moon because the moon definitely goes through 12 cycles every year where it waxes and then wanes and uh, goes blank, goes out as it were, and then a new moon appears and it does its cycle all over again. And so it's the moon that marks out the months as it goes through its 12 distinct cycles each year. These, of course, are ordered by God. This is God's determination. He's the one that uh, set the moon in the heavens to rule the night like the sun rules the day. That was his, that was his program. It was for signs and seasons and days and years, the sun and the moon in the sky. And it mentions that he put the moon to rule the day. Actually, it makes sense. Twelve Cycles per year. Twelve is the number of God's perfect government. It's how he rules his universe. It's how he rules our lives. It's always connected with the number twelve. And twelve is with his people Israel. You know, the twelve tribes. It's redundant with Israel. And so we know we can. it's easy to tell what twelve stands for in the scriptures. So recognize the fact that this is ordered by God. This is God's ordering of our lives, the 12 cycles of the moon, brings us from one cycle to the next cycle and so forth. God has ordered an up and down sort of thing in our lives, a a waxing and waning reality of life for us human beings in time. He did not intend, he never intended for us to get saved, as it were, become a child of God, rise to a plateau and stay there. That was never, that wasn't, that, it won't work, because that's not the way God would do it. He knows better than that. <clears throat> so these are ordered by God, these cycles. <clears throat> So the month divides the year into those 12 cycles. 
The year being then a symbol, or in a sense we can think of the year as a complete, a completion of the cycles and seasons that the will of God would bring upon us and bring for us. When our Lord began his ministry in, the, in Nazareth, he, he opened the scriptures. And you remember the passage he went to, it's Isaiah 61. And he quoted there that he was sent from God, the great servant of God, to preach. And he concluded that, that list in Isaiah 61 with the, with the second verse of Isaiah 61. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Luke uh, tells us uh, that that was his, that he quoted that passage. He's announcing, he was announcing there in that synagogue that he had been sent to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, that that acceptable year of the Lord is this, uh, is then this whole age of grace, this whole age of, in which the the gospel of our, of our salvation by the grace of God through the finished work of Christ, not anticipating Christ's coming, but now looking back and seeing that Christ came and died for us, and we can believe in him. And all who do believe in him, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. That's the age of grace. That's the age... Uh, and it's been more than 2,000 calendar years, but it's considered and called the acceptable year of the Lord, the full, the full scope of the seasons and cycles of grace are incorporated in this year. <clears throat> and, and God is bringing forth all of his purposes in grace through our Lord Jesus Christ for all that believe in him. It doesn't come to us all at once. We couldn't handle that. But it's divided, as it were, into months. He made the moon and stars to rule the night, it says in Psalm 136. For his mercies endureth forever. <laughs> According to the mercy of God, he made cycles. He made a, 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 an increasing and varied revelation of the glory of his son all through this age. Every fresh revelation of his glory reflected to us is like a new moon in our dark night. And so in, in, a, in, the, in all the, the verity of our life cycles, we can look for and see and find a new revelation of Christ or and new to us, let me put it that way, a new to us revelation of the person and the glory of Christ in our dark night circumstance. And the new moon is not discovered or not determined by astrological formulas, by calculation. It wasn't determined that way. They couldn't figure it out that way in those days. I think today they've got it pretty well pegged. By, by formulas, but we're not talking about today. The ancient people, they only knew the new moon by observance. They looked for it. When they, they, 
when the night was dark, they yearned for light, they looked, they would set out, actually they would send out uh, watchers, I don't know what they actually called them, on, and they would be stationed on high points around Jerusalem. And they had more than one, I think there was like four or five of them that they would set up every, every month. And their job was to watch for that first little hint, that little crescent, the beginning crescent, the break, that point when the new moon appeared. And when they saw that, they would run down to a designated house in Jerusalem where the Sanhedrin would be, and the president of the Sanhedrin, would they would report to him, I, I saw, I saw, I saw the new moon. At this such and such a time, and he would document that, and after he got enough witnesses from these different observers, that he would determine then when the new moon appeared, because that set their dates, that set their month cycles and so forth. So they, they worked off of that. And when he would determine that day, that time that the new moon appeared, he would stand up and say, it is consecrated. That was the that was the term. That's the way they said it's consecrated. This has the whole, the, the, the wonderful working of God. Our lives as we see these things, as we see, when we are in our darkness, the thing to do is to look, to search the sky. We sang that song that I've never sung before, I don't think. You know, we look up to the hills from whence cometh our help. He's looking to God. We're looking up. And uh, <clears throat> we're looking for that fresh revelation of the glory of Christ in our circumstance so that we might be conse consecrate even our circumstances such as they are, whatever they are, however dark that night might be, or whatever has brought us to that point of searching and yearning after God, if we seek after him with all our heart, we will find him. The new moon will appear, and the glory of God, the reflection of that glory will come to us, and then we will see him in our very deep need. It's a wonderful reality. And God has ordered our life to go through deep needs, to go through hard times, to, in, to face trials and troubles that is by God's decree so that we might find and see and appreciate a new reality of how Christ has ministered to our needs. What it meant that the Lord Jesus came and became a man what it meant for him to identify with us and all of our sufferings. What all of that is for. And this ought to bring to us, as we see Christ in our circumstance, we find him, his, his glory lightens our night, brings us to worship, doesn't it? <clears throat> But this, uh,
revelation as we have of Christ's glory, of course, we see even in this interesting analogy with the moon, it increases, it grows, it develops. And there's a, there's a connection between these offerings, the monthly offerings, and the next two, uh, the first of the feasts, the, the first two of the annual offerings that are listed, verses 16, and then the other one begins in verse 26. There's, uh, in, in verse 16, there is the Passover and the seven days of unleavened bread. And so then there's also in the, uh, verse 26, it's called the day of the first fruits, which is actually referring to Pentecost, but here it is called, I don't know that it's called this anywhere else, the day of the first fruits. Now notice a connection with these things, and the reason I say they're connected, they're intimately connected, because these are the three, these three have the same offerings. They're different from the first two, from the daily and weekly. They're different. They're much expanded. They're greatly expanded. Two bullocks, a ram, and seven he lamb, seven lambs of the first year, with the meal and drink offerings. And then a sin offering is added at the end. And so this, this is a, a, a vast expansion of the appreciation of the work of Christ. There's a whole new, there's a whole new, uh, as we see the revelation of Christ and his glory <clears throat> comes to us in our varied circumstances. As we see and appreciate the Passover and the unleavened bread uh, feast and so forth, there's a, that's a, a seven-day feast. It begins with the Passover, but it, but it builds into a seven-day thing. It's always a, there's more to it. It's a growing thing. And, and, and you notice that the first one was the beginnings of your months, implying that there's more months coming. All the months through the year, he says. And so the beginnings, this is going to be a, an increasing thing, an expanding reality for you. And then also, in the day of your first fruits, first fruit implies there's more coming. There's more coming behind it. <clears throat> That's a wonderful principle in these uh, in these realities. They're they're all linked by the same offering, the same offerings each, but. And they all belong to us. I'm talking about us now in the New Testament era. These three, as they're tied together. I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7 and 8 to you, and you'll recognize that text. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7 and 8 says, uh, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, speaking to the church of the Cor of Corinthians and to us and Minot, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so the, Paul gives us this feast of the Passover and unleavened bread as a part of our New Testament church reality. As we understand, of course, 
the new, the new moons certainly apply to our lives. And the, uh, and the wonderful uh, Pentecost, that belongs to us. That was the birth of the church as it was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. These are for us. The acceptable year of the Lord is playing out right now. It's today that the acceptable, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation, uh, exclaims the New Testament writers. Now it is playing out. It's running its course. This is the eighth. We are living. And I think we should really... I try, I'm trying to emphasize this because it is so important. We are presently, today, now, living in the acceptable year of the Lord, in the year where the mighty, magnanimous, fantastic revelations of the glory of the Son of God are being played out for us by the Father, by God. God is giving an expression to us of his Son all through the acceptable year of the Lord. It's the grace of God given to us. And what a marvelous reality. The beginnings of the months was Passover month. That's when they began. What a wonderful beginning it was. What a revelation of Christ in that Passover feast. And it is Christ, our Passover. He's my lamb. And uh, and the and how that should stir us to unleavened appreciation and worship and uh, and the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, at the first fruits, day of first fruits. The revelation of the Son of God. Think of what that what that means to us, what we have. And in this day and age, and we always read some of these Old Testament stories and say, wouldn't it be great to have lived under one. Try to imagine what it was like to be Abraham living in his tent and having God speak to him and so forth. I tell you, we have got so much more, so much more wonderful, so much more dramatic, so much more fantastic. So the Old Testament saints could never have imagined the things that we are taking for granted, <laughs> the things that we are just you know, we forget what's going on here. The scriptures in our hands, the holy word of God, God's revelation of himself through his son by the written word in our hands for us to read and to study. It is fantastic. Now, this is not just light reading, though. This is not just, nah. you know, it doesn't just come to us. As, not like reading a newspaper. This will require due diligence. To really enter into what God is saying, it'll call, it'll cost us uh, a bit of, we'll have to engage our brain and really study the Word of God. And what we, and, and Caleb was talking about it last week. We're not just trying to study to, to see how, you know, the outlines are just right and all of those kinds of things. That's, that's wonderful. Do that. Find those outlines. Examine the meanings of the words. Look at the patterns and structure of the scripture. That's very important. But what we're really looking for, the reason you want to find them, what you're hoping for is you're coming to know a person. 
the living God, who has revealed himself to us. The Lord said to his disciples at one point, I think it was really cool, and it's always struck me whenever I read it, he said, let these sayings sink down into your ears, he says. <laughs> let these sayings sink down into your ears. What did the Lord mean by that? He said, oh, this is going to take some meditation. This is going to take some real work to figure this out. We're going to have to really chew this over. Let it go down into our hearts. I suppose it took, what, about 50 years for God to give us the whole New Testament, which completed the whole Bible, maybe, 50 years of the New Testament era. But then he's given us 2,000 years to let it soak in. It takes some, it's just not a surface thing. It takes us really wanting, desiring, and before the Lord, engaging that's the way I call it. That's what I call it. That's my word of it. Engaging with the Spirit of God and with the Word of God. But it's worth it. It is so, it is so worth it. The more you study, the more you find, and the more you enjoy. The more you dive in, the more you begin to love it. The more it becomes a part of you, and you, and you want more. So that's important. Have you read your Bible all the way through? I guess I'm speaking primarily to the young young people. Have you read your Bible from cover to cover? Well, that's really great. But read it again. You miss something. I can promise you that. You've read it a thousand times. You've missed something. Read it again. Read it some more. Think about it. Meditate on it. Remember when the Lord Jesus, when Nathaniel came to the Lord Jesus, and it's recorded in John chapter one. I think this is pretty cool. And he was shocked when he discovered that Jesus knew him before he had met him. And he remember the Lord revealed to him that, well, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What? And Nathaniel, when he discovered. He said, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Did he have it? Did he have it all? The Lord answered him and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe me? Do you believe in me then? He says, I say unto you, you will see greater things than these. Did Nathaniel have it? The Lord says, well, something like this. Uh, <clears throat> you think that's something. You're going to see greater things. And, what, and whatever level of appreciation you have of Christ now, get into that word. You're going to see greater things. You think he's glorious? Oh, that's just the beginning crescent of the moon shining. You're going to see greater things. There's more. It's deeper. It's more rich. It's fuller. It's a greater blessing than you've ever had before. Romans chapter 5 speaks of how Christ died for the ungodly. We love those verses. 
Then he goes on to say, God commends his love toward us, and now while we're not sinners, Christ died for us. And then after that, he says, much more, much more than we've been reconciled by that. <clears throat> and there's five much mores in that chapter. Much more, much more, much more. I'll just, look, I'll just reference them quick for you. It's, it's kind of touching. <clears throat> so he says, much more. You love the fact that Christ died for your sins? as When you were a sinner, God loved you so much that he sent his son to die. You love that? That revelation has touched your heart and blessed you? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I love that. Well, there's more. Much more. Now, justified by his blood, saved from his wrath, and reconciled to God by his death of his son. That's much more, isn't it? And then he goes on to say, there's much more yet. Being reconciled, we're saved by his life. What does that mean? To have eternal life, to have the real life of the, of the Lord, of Christ himself within us. And not only that, but we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not all. Verse 15 not as the offense, so also as a free gift, where if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace. Do you have it all yet? Much more in verse 17. They which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by Jesus Christ. Much more in verse 20. Does grace abound where sin abounds? Much more. So, my encouragement, and I think this is the message that God laid on my heart this morning for us. Much more. Much more does God want to give you. Much more does God want to show us. Much more does he want us to enter in. And what does this do in each of these cases, in each of these uh, feast offerings and so forth? There is this marvelous offering that we bring to him. Two young bullocks. Now, what does a bullock represent? When you think of a bullock, what what comes to mind with an ox? What do you think of first that, of an ox? Anything? Any any response? Strong. Strong. Yeah. Strong for what? For service. For work. They pull the plow. They pull who knows what all that you might put on them to pull. The strength for service and labor. The promise of work, yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a hard worker. Think of how that is seen in the work and life of Christ. That's what we're trying to do is you're going to bring a bullet to God for offering. You're thinking of what Christ was as a, as a young, energetic, if you want to call it that, servant willing to work. To do the work. And uh, what is more to a bullock than that? Another thing that comes to mind when you think of a bullock, characteristically, a bullock is, well, he's good food. <laughs> he's steaks. He's roasts. He's what's for dinner. You know, beef, it's what's for dinner. <laughs> That's what, if uh, you had guests coming, you'd kill a fatted calf for a real feast, a real feast of richness and and, and 
and delicious. I don't know what you, I overheard a little bit of your talk about some kind of hocus pocus replacement for meat. Baloney! That's just not going to fly. Beef is what's for dinner, my friend. <laughs> and that was God's plan. That was God's program. And so we have, uh, that's the other thing about a bullock. What is there about how does that represent, how does that represent the Lord Jesus Christ and his person and work? These are the things we kind of, you got to try and find the meditation that that is suitable. And you're saying to God, oh, your son, I've never tasted anything so wholesome, so delicious, so life-giving, so strength-giving, so invigorating. Uh, your son is is satisfying. That's one thing. That's just that's just one little part of a wide variation. That not just was the two young bullocks that were offered. There was a ram, and whenever you see a, a, a what is a ram? A, a ram is a he, a sheep, a male sheep, of course. You all knew that. It took me a long time to kind of get that my head around that. Uh, it's not a goat. It's a sheep. And uh, what are they? When we find ram in scripture, I'll just give you a hint. It was the blood of the ram that was put upon the earlobe and upon the thumb and upon the big toe of the priesthood, the high priest and his sons in the priesthood, as they were consecrated for their office and service to God. It was the blood of the lamb, of the ram, the ram of consecration, it's called there. The ram of Aaron's consecration is also called there. So typically the ram would speak of consecration, of dedication, of singularity, of, mo of motive and, and purpose. And it's true in a flock, too. What's a ram good for? Propagation. You've got the ram in there to make lambs. He's in there for the, for the expansion of the flock. That's it. They're no good to eat. Once they get, once they get a little older, mm -mm. they're not good food. They don't do any, they don't pull any plows. They don't do that kind of work. It's not that kind of stuff. He's there for one purpose and one purpose only. The expansion and well-being of the flock. Apply some of those practical lessons, and that's just maybe scratching the surface, to the Lord Jesus Christ and his work, his service to God. And that's how we begin to offer worship. Seven lambs, not one or two, but seven lambs, a full, a complete, a perfect redemption. Now, the lamb generally is connected with redemption, the redeeming blood of the lamb, the redemption from Israel, from Egypt, that Passover blood of the lamb 
redeemed them. And what does redemption mean? It's a huge subject. It's a beautiful subject. All of these things you can chew on, you can meditate on, you can discover deeper and wonderful realities, and you can bring that to God and say, I so have come to see an appreciation of what Christ has done for me. If he hadn't done what he had done, where would I be still lost in Egypt and lost forever? There are much, there's much more. There's much more. Don't forget the sin offering, the meal offerings, the drink offerings, the sin offering that follows it all. And so these are the things that we should come to appreciate. I have very little to say on the 29th chapter. It's the last, the, the last three feasts. Typically, they would be considered primarily for Israel. It's in the seventh month, on the first day of the month. I should probably... There's, there's a lot here, really, when you think about it. The seventh month is always handled as the end of the year. And yet, it's a kind of a paradox, because it was, in fact, their new year, their civil new year. Passover was their new year for all of their festivals and so forth and their, and their, and their interaction with God. The Passover was their beginning of months in April, kind of. But they never, they never ended or never ceased to have the seventh month as their new year, their civil new year. And so it's interesting. It's the end of the year and it's the beginning of the year the same time. And there's, there is the Feast of Trumpets. There is the Feast of Atonement, the Day of Atonement. And then there's the glorious and expanded and, and amazing Feast of the Tabernacles, in which, during the Feast of the Tabernacles, 70 bullocks were offered. And 14 rams and 98 lambs were offered, along with the kids, the kid of the goats, the goat for sin offering, seven of those. And added to it then was another day with another set of offerings. So it's an incredible, incredibly important festival in God's mind. It's the capstone festival. For all the festivals, it is what God is going toward. What is it about the tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles? It's where the purposes of God are aimed and targeted. That's where he's headed. That's where he's taking us. What does it mean to us, Gentiles, parts of the New Testament church? We can get an idea. We get a glimpse, a thought of what it might mean to Israel. When the millennial kingdom is inaugurated on this earth and Christ reigns, we can see something of that. But what does it mean to us? It is important. It is as important or more to us as to them. As is the trumpets and as is the Day of Atonement, in my opinion. But that's we're going to have to leave that go because we're out of time. We don't want to go on and on and on.
I can rattle on forever. Our Lord, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you. We thank you that we live in an age. Uh, this age is this wonderful and glorious, acceptable year of the Lord, in which you have determined by your purposes to reveal your Son, the Lord Jesus. Indeed, the New Testament closes with that marvelous book, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That by the revelation of Jesus Christ, he will make manifest the Father. Lord God, we pray that you will help us to learn these lessons and, as, and, and take seriously the, the, the privilege, position that we have to enter into eternal spiritual realities today in our lives and become true worshipers. Oh, we pray that you'll help us with this in Jesus' name.